How many know what Sports Center is? Right. If you don't know what Sports Center is, um, it is a show that's mostly about highlights from games, some sort of sporting event. And if you didn't get to see your team, you go watch Sports Center, and you get to see highlights. Like, and it's not every pitch, every play, every any of that. It's highlights from it. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Acts, and we're giving those highlights in the book of Acts. At the beginning of the year, we started in the Gospel of Luke, and we gave highlights of Jesus' life and what he taught, and ultimately culminating in his death and and victorious resurrection. Now, sometimes when you turn on SportsCenter, it's low lights if you're a Rockies fan. He just fired me from the front row. I didn't know you could do that. Um, just kidding. But it's highlights. And, and we're looking at these. What happened when Jesus, Jesus ushered in the kingdom? In, we see it in the Gospel of Luke. And we see he inaugurated the kingdom. And we called that kingdom come. This series is called Kingdom Go. Because as we've seen, Jesus commissioned his followers to go tell the world about the good news of what he had done in his, his victorious life, death, and resurrection, and now ascension. And that task is, continues with us today as the church. Our task is to continue spread the good news of, of Jesus. I've titled today's message, All for One and One for All. And in my notes, one and one are capitalized, because what we're talking about is all for Jesus, Jesus for all. That's, that's the point of this message. And we're in Acts chapter 10, Today is what we're going to look at. And in Acts 10, there's a a transition that happens. What we've seen up to this point is the gospel went from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and chapter 10 sets it up for going throughout the world. What the Apostle Paul and the missionary journeys and all that uh, we're getting ready to look at. But the first nine chapters are all about Jewish people hearing the, the good news. And this transition in Acts 10 is that the good news isn't just for the Jewish people, but it's for all. So I want to make a statement here at the beginning that sets the stage for this. Jesus is the exclusive, yet all-inclusive, Savior for all. He's the exclusive Savior, but He's all-inclusive. And for my Spanish-speaking friends, Jesus es todo incluido. Joel, you owe me lunch. Or at least we're even now, I think. But um, what does it mean that he's the exclusive Savior? What does it mean that he's the exclusive Savior? He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made the statement that he is exclusive. Sometimes the world gets upset with Christians and say, oh, you guys are so arrogant that that Jesus is the only way. You think you have the only way. We didn't make it up. (laughs) The one that we follow said he was the exclusive Savior. We didn't come up with that. He said it. So if someone has a problem with that statement that he's the exclusive Savior, they need to go to Jesus and talk to him about it (laughs) because we, we believe him. But I, you know what I love about that is Jesus took the guesswork out of who's, who do we follow? He said, follow me, I'll lead you to the Father. You don't have to wonder anymore who's right and who's wrong. But let's flip that. 
He's the inclusive Savior. All-inclusive. Come one, come all. Whatever race, whatever background, whatever, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come to Him. Paul, the apostle, told Timothy, For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. He's the Savior of all people. It's pretty black and white there. Now, our world is at you know, tension, right? If you turn on the news and see what's going on in Israel, there's almost about to have war there. And there's people on both sides trying to say who's right, who's this. Tension, tension, tension. And it's scary. What we need to just be praying is pray for the peace of Jerusalem, like the psalm says. Pray there be no more bloodshed. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what we should be, be praying. But in our nation, the tension of racism, it's, it's thick. It's, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. I, I hear that the 60s were maybe a little more difficult, but I was, wasn't born yet. I was born 1981. I'm just kidding. I was born in 67. <laughs> so I wouldn't have known. Wouldn't have known. But I think what we have to admit, or at least be open to, is that we all have some sort of prejudice in our life. We have some sort of bias against somebody that doesn't look, think, act like us. It, 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 we have that. It's there. And the, the more willing we are to say, God, put your, put your light on, on me and show me where I'm off, or God, I know I'm off, will you help me? And I believe today's message is going to be very helpful for those who struggle with that because the gospel is the only answer to prejudice. It's the only answer. None, no, nothing else is going to make it work because what, what happens is we let, if we let our ideology, ideology is a big word for what do you believe about politics and social issues and, and society. When we let our ideology shape our theology, what we believe about God and the, our worldview, then we ha- our ideology is shaping how we behave and how we see people. We need to always flip that on its head. And we let what we know about the gospel, what we know about who God is, who Jesus is, let that determine your ideology. And when we do that, we'll be walking in, the, in a way that not everybody's going to like, but we'll be walking in a way that's obedience to, to Jesus. So a couple things I'm going to, points I'm going to make through this chapter, um, Acts 10. The first one is this, the gospel reveals our personal prejudice. In itself, the gospel has a way of rising to the surface where you and I might have a prejudice. I'm going to read to you the first eight verses. It says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people. And he prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have ascended 
as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Who is this guy named Cornelius? Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a Roman soldier, as we read, who was God-fearing. And to be a God-fearing Gentile meant that you, you were a non-Jewish person who trusted the God of Israel. So you weren't, you weren't Jewish, but you trusted the God of Israel. That's what a devout or God-fearing Roman person would have been. Now in that, though, the Romans were hated by the Jews. They hated them. Why? Because they were oppressing them. They were occupying Israel. They got treated poorly, overtaxed, all kinds of stuff. And they didn't like them. And they were, they were, they were taught to not like them. And I was thinking about this as I was reading this. Why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius the gospel? He could have. He knew the gospel. God was setting the stage for this meeting of Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a non-Jew, with Peter, who was a full-on kosher Jewish person and how he lived his life. God had something in, in store for them. And I want to say this about our own personal prejudices that we could have, is you got to let the gospel surface any. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 14. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. Jews and Gentiles into one people. You see that? When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. The gospel's the only answer. And if I, if I can understand what that means, then I don't have any room for prejudice towards people. Paul says in, in the book of Galatians, he says, and we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we are all, say it with me, one through our union with Jesus Christ. I have a friend who lives part-time here and part-time in Israel. He's got a house in Haifa, and Haifa is this beautiful beach community up in northern Israel. I've told the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth, I'd like to live there. So we'll see how that works out. But um, next to Janelle, like she's got a, so anyway, you do, that's a little Bible humor. You don't know about marriage and have, <laughs> so I don't digress too much and worry some of you here. But th- my friend, <laughs> some of you are like, what's what happens? We'll talk about that later. Um, his church in Haifa is made up of Palestinian people and Jewish believers in Jesus. They've become, they see their oneness and not their differences. They see their oneness in Jesus. They get along. They do life together. They serve one another. Only Jesus can unite people who were at war, at tension, or whatever in, in, in this world. You can take that to the bank. 
governments, people, ideologies can come up with all kinds of things, but until someone knows who Jesus is and, and understands that, there'll still be racism and prejudice stuff going on. So Peter's about to have this opportunity to completely have his world rocked, to have his understanding of the vastness of the work of the cross and what Jesus did. So the second thing, if you're taking notes, is the gospel, when embraced, will gracefully break us from our prejudice. Not only does it reveal, but if you and I embrace the gospel, the the heart and soul of what Jesus did for all people, then he will break us from our prejudices. When um, Damien, our son, was a little boy, he dislocated his elbow. Anybody ever dislocated something? A couple of you. So he's at the doctor, and the doctor said, this is going to hurt a little bit because <laughs> his elbow is all jacked up. And the doctor took it, popped it back into place. Ah, wait, I feel better. The pain went away almost instantly. Peter is having a dislocation popped back into place in his understanding in this chapter. The chapter goes on to say that Peter is at the house of Simon the Tanner, and he's a on the roof, and he kind of goes into this trance or this deep sleep, and he has a vision. It says he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that that God has made clean. This This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter, Peter's told, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Say what? (laughs) Uh, Are you kidding me? Right. The context is all about. The Levitical law. In the Levitical law, the Jewish people were told by Moses on what they could eat, what they shouldn't eat, what they should wear, all the outward things that separated Jewish people from all the world's, the, the nations around them. And you read in there, you, you, can't eat, you can't eat shellfish, you can't eat this, you can't do that, you can eat these things. And so Peter sees this sheet with all these animals and is told to, to kill and eat. And he's going freaking out. But Peter begins to contemplate what had happened, it says. Peter began to realize that that vision was not about food. It was about people. It was about stop thinking that someone who is a non-Jew, not like you, is somehow impure or unclean. I have made them clean by my life, death, and resurrection. So Peter, as a Jew, it was ingrained in him that non-Jews were unclean. I'm not picking on Jewish people. I'm just telling the truth, right? I'm telling the truth of what was written in the law. And we're going to see how Peter responds to this in a second in uh, the verses to follow. But it was ingrained in him. You know what? Racism is learned. You get two little toddlers of a different race, they have no idea. They don't care. This, do you want to have fun? Do you want to goof off together? Do you want to run and eat sugar together and do, you know, 
do things toddlers do. That, that's, that, that is, it is a very learned thing that needs to be unlearned. At the end of seventh grade, born and raised here, my parents decided that they wanted to move back to their original state, Georgia. And so all my brothers and sisters were already graduated high school, and so they took me, their youngest, and we packed up the U-Haul and drove all the way to Georgia. And basically, the day that we got there, like I think I got dropped off to football practice in the U-Haul. Like that's how we went, because I, I wanted to play football. And um, got to practice, and half of my team was African-American. Now, growing up in Arvada, I didn't think anything of it, right? I mean, I, my parents did not teach us to be racist. Anything was the exact opposite, that you treat all people with respect. My mom and dad, growing up in the South, back in the you know, 40s and 50s, there was a lot more stuff. That, and my dad always stood up against that. I really respect him for that. And um, so I'm there at football practice, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm from Arvada, Colorado. You know, hey, let's, let's hit somebody. I'm ready, you know, and the, I'm sure that's what they thought, but it was like, remember the Titans, right? Louis Lasky shows up and says, they're like, who are you? And he said, somebody said, football, I came running. That was me. And I began to make friends with African-American teammates, like really close friends. One of my friends, A. Derry Pittman, his grandma would pick us up every day to take us to football practice, and she'd make me a little chicken and a biscuit. It was so good, make sure we were, we were nourished. And then um, I had this friend named, named Mario, and we got really close. And one day in the gym at the high school, he told me in front of a group of other African-American got teammates he said, Scott, we got to fight. I was like, oh, okay, let's fight. You know, like I thought he was just joking around. He had a little tear in his eye. He was serious. He was having to show those other guys that he wasn't Uncle Tom, quote, unquote. He told me that later through tears. Racism is learned regardless of what angle it comes from. It's learned and it needs to be unlearned through the gospel. The gospel's the only reality to change that. Now, in the book of Galatians, something interesting happens. Paul makes this phrase. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. You could put a quote around the word sinful because he's, he's, it's a play on words, so to speak. He's saying they, the Jewish people looked at Gentiles as sinful because they didn't have the law. They didn't follow the law. They, didn't have, they weren't God's special people. They didn't have the covenants, etc. Not knowing what God ultimately was going to do through Jesus, right? What Adam and Eve failed to do, Israel ultimately failed to do. And God knew this, that Jesus was going to do and fulfill and ch- turn the world upside down for the good. In... In that book of Galatians, it's amazing. The Apostle Paul rebukes Peter. We're talking top of the food chain of the apostles here, Peter. He rebukes him openly to the, to the Galatian church because Peter, after this experience that we're, reading, we're going to read about today, sometime after that, Peter, when he would eat with non-Jews, when he would eat, he would eat with Gentiles, 
And, you know, you're, as a Jew, you weren't supposed to do that. But Peter had the understanding now, I'm not going to call anyone impure and unclean based upon their race or whatever. But when the Jews would come around, Peter would stop eating with the Gentiles. It's right there in Galatians. And Paul rebukes him. He said, I rebuked him to his face. Paul was the man, you know. He, he, he's like, Peter, you're a hypocrite. Why are you treating somebody differently because they're not Jewish? Do you not know the reality of the gospel? Do you not know the inclusion of the gospel, the unification that the gospel has done for us? But you know what? That encourages me. Makes me believe the Bible too. That you don't paint this perfect story of all the stars of the of the of the New Testament, right? They were imperfect. Peter had to grow. Peter had to be gracefully broken from what he thought was reality concerning racism and so forth. Hello, Siri. Good morning, Troy. Hey. I'm going to need you to zip it. (laughs) So thirdly, as the story continues on, the gospel is the only answer to prejudices. It literally is the the only answer. And if you get anything out of today's message, get that. And maybe somebody watching or in this room, you've experienced racism towards you. You've experienced cultural racism. You've experienced some sort of bias or prejudice towards you. And the only thing that's going to allow you to forgive and see people differently is the gospel. It is forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, Peter goes on, he, the, the Cornelius' guys go and get Peter. They bring him to Cornelius' house where a bunch of Roman Gentiles were, were waiting for him. And Peter comes in and he says this in verse 28. He says, you know that it is against the Jewish laws for me to associate with or even visit the home of one who is not a Jew. Yet God has shown me that I should never view anyone as inferior or ritually unclean. And so after Peter says that, he's like, I'm here. You know I'm not supposed to be, but I'm beginning to understand the vastness of the gospel. And Cornelius says, tell us whatever the Lord has put on your heart. Tell it to us. Peter begins to tell him the good news about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his kingdom has come, and I'm here to tell you about it. And as he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those guys, gals who all were there, and they began to speak in other tongues the glory of God, just like on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, it was only Jewish people. This was like a little Gentile Pentecost. And Peter and the other uh, Jewish disciples kind of just went, whoa. (laughs) They're watching this happen, and they're going, whoa. Man, I get it. I get it. And then Peter says, man, who's can withhold from these getting baptized? And they had this big, huge baptism, just like they did after Pentecost. And it opened the door. It transitioned the door from Jesus' words of... uh, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will empower you to to be witnesses of mine in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Open the door to that. And we're still following that today. We're still preaching the good news to anyone and everyone that we we can share. All for one and one for all. 
When you understand all for one, the, Jesus is the exclusive Savior, and if, when you understand and one for all, that he's the inclusive Savior, that he, he died for everybody, then you begin to understand how the gospel changes us. So the gospel, I wrote three things down. The gospel answers three things. The gospel answers, first of all, racial prejudice. Revelations 4, 9, and 10 say, around the throne of Jesus in heaven, there will be, there's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, everybody. Everybody is God's creation. When you see that, how can we look at another race of people and have disdain for them? Knowing that Jesus Christ died for all people, that doesn't mean that you, know, you have to agree with everybody or um, you know, affirm everyone's character or ideology. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying people are God's image bearers. Every person ever created bears the image of God. Every person you see, Jesus died for. So if you, if you and I began to see people not just by their behavior, but that they're image bearers of God and that they, that they are included in the gospel, it changes that. It doesn't allow for, for racism. The gospel has the always been God's plan to unite people and to ultimately unite nations. And if, if, if you don't like other races for what, just because of this learned racism, then you're not going to like heaven. Because it's all races, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be around the throne. Jesus worshiping him. The second one is cultural prejudice. In the book of James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he... Uh, he says in chapter 2, he says, don't give the good seats in your congregational meetings to the rich or the person with nice clothes. He says, and then make the, the poor person sit in the back. Don't do that. We, it doesn't matter rich or, or poor or whatever. Again, we're united in Christ. The gospel levels the playing field in every aspect of how we see people. He's saying, don't, don't do that. That's why I think it's so important to go on short-term missions, to, to understand both how the gospel you know, answers racial and cultural prejudice. When we've gone to the Dominican Republic, and you go and worship with the church in La Valsa, and you know, they'll sing in Spanish some contemporary songs, and then they'll kick it into their cultural music. They get the drum out and the little scraper, and we're in there like, like chanting almost in the in Spanish. It's so cool, like a hair on your arm stands up. It's like I'm. This is a taste of heaven. When I've been to Scotland a lot, and you pray with somebody who's from Scotland, and they begin to say, "Our Lord and our God, ye are amazing, God Jesus," and it's like. I think I understood what you said. Is that English? But it's not always easy to understand. It's awesome to taste other cultures and pray with people and worship. Highly recommend when the world is a little more stable and we're able to do more short-term missions regularly. Don't, don't not do that, okay? 
Um, but this cultural pre- prejudice, it's easy to look at somebody and say, oh, look at all those tattoos. Have you seen our associate pastor? Uh, <laughs> kind of has a lot of tattoos. Or somebody has different hair, or it's something outward that we don't like about people. Or, or somebody can say, oh, look at that rich guy. Look at that car he drives. Look at that house. And it's, it's a prejudice towards somebody for having money or something that's nice. All of those things, the gospel says, sorry, this, is, this playing field's been evened by the gospel. We don't look at people through those set of lenses anymore. We look at people as new creations in Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is all about, is, is don't look down on people and, and don't worry about their past. We're new creations in Jesus. And then religious and theological prejudice. This is the silent, invisible one, I think, that when somebody doesn't believe the way you do, you don't trust them. Or we think we're better than somebody because we have the real statement of faith. We have the real church. We do church right. And that is a, something where the gospel says, no, it's all about Jesus. We all have some sort of error in our life when it comes to interpreting Scripture or what we say we believe. And Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, says that there's one faith, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all. So we're, that's, that's what unites people. You know why there's so many denominations? If you go, you know... What's a phone book? But I was about to say, if you go get a phone book. <laughs> but if you Google denominations and you see all these, you know, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Missionary Baptist, Evangelist, you know, blah, 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 blah. You, it's an exhaustive list. Why is there so many denominations? It's because somebody took a secondary issue, maybe how you baptize. Should you sprinkle babies or not? And say, up, oh, we don't agree on this. We're going to take our church and we're going to start our own movement. All of that has ultimately starts from somewhere in a secondary issue and making it a primary thing. That's why I love that we're non-denominational. It's super helpful. We're a church that gets along even though we might not agree on every certain doctrine, we're still going to get along. And Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the, of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. You know, the Compare and contrasting the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. And one of the fruits of the flesh, he names all these things, orgies, drunkenness, fits of rage. Then he says factions. You know what a faction is? A faction is a group of people who they know what's right about everything and the rest of you are all wrong. And we create factions theologically. You don't believe this about the end times? Psh, can't worship with you. You don't believe this about that? And we, we got to always keep the primary things, the primary things, and hold gently to secondary issues. And guess what? You guys do a good job of that. I, I, give yourselves an applause. I'm serious. I love that about our church. There are people who have serious differences, but we don't fight. and We don't, we don't bolt over it. And I just think that's, that's kudos to all of you. So as bring this to a, a, a close, let me ask you a simple question. Has God convicted you in any way during 
this section of scripture. If he's convicted you, it's a gift. It's a gift where he's trying to say, hey, you might not be thinking right about people of other cultures, race, you know, doctrine, whatever. And I want you to see people through my eyes and ask God to give you eyes to see people as image bearers of God and people whom the our Lord and Savior died for. He gave his life for God so loved the world that he gave his son. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have to remember that. There's an inclusion there. And the second thing is, is where do you think God might be speaking to you to be a voice of good in a world that's in chaos. It's Jesus. It doesn't always mean people are going to like what they hear from you. Some things are so ingrained in people that when you call it out, or you try to point out the good news of Jesus, people are, it takes a little time. Be patient with people, but ask God to strengthen you. Ask him, we're all going to ask that God, you would reveal through the gospel where we have prejudice. You would gracefully break us and we would remember that the gospel is the only answer to it. We stand with me. If you've never come into agreement with Jesus that he is the exclusive Lord and the exclusive Savior, Right now is a great time to just say, I agree with you, Jesus. You are Lord. You are Savior. I give my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to turn from walking in my own ways to walking truly in your ways, knowing that you know better. Father, we thank you for the good news We thank you for Jesus who unites us. I pray for our world, the tension, the fighting, the angst. Lord, you would reveal Jesus. Reveal Jesus. And we also recognize and accept that you've called us to participate in that announcement of the good news as a church and as individuals. Help us, God. What Our little corner of the world, our little corner of our community, we want to see your light on display. God, I know that melts hearts when people see brothers and sisters walking in unity, just like the psalm we read. Help us, God. In Jesus' name.